Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. We've been talking about emotions. And today I want to talk about the emotion of hostility. The emotion of hostility. You see, the kingdom of God is your and my highest citizenship. It's our highest calling on the earth. Where someone's taken from, well, living for themselves or living under the the world's way and being transformed by Jesus and becoming a citizen of heaven, having your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Our emotions, our deep down heartfelt emotions at time, well, they can be rather hostile towards people. But the Holy Spirit desires that we would be people that would use our emotions properly and still give God glory and impact others with his love and grace. Now, if you've ever read through the book of Ephesians, you'll understand that this writing that Paul gives to the church at Ephesus really wakes up our emotions in the most proper way. Looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, we find these words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, what a great salutation, a great greeting, some wonderful words we can bless others with. Hey, grace to you, peace to you. See, grace is the undeserved favor of God to forgive and bless others. Oftentimes, we hear grace defined as undeserved favor for ourselves. That's true. But it's also the grace of God, the undeserved favor to forgive and to bless others. It's grace that removes the wall of hostility between people. We see that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse one two, and three. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In other words, we've all been called, all of us. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And catch this emphasis, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, there is one spirit, Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, God in his love has taken away all hostility to restore us to himself and one another. And in that, it must be Christ, the one that we put first. It must be Christ over culture. It must be Christ over current events. It must be Christ over current trends. We go against the flow. We don't go with the flow. And we don't ride with the tide. We, we oftentimes have to go against the grain or against the tide, or we live counter culture, especially when Paul's words are on our hearts. The first thing I want us to see is that we are, number one, to protect the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's a tall order. 
You and I have been called to protect. We're protectors of the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Peace is our bond. And Jesus, our Savior, is the Prince of Peace. See, hostility works against the peace of God. Hostility works against the peace that God wants you to have, the peace with God in your heart. That's a a vertical thing that you are at peace with God. And then the peace of God that flows out of your heart to those around you, that's a horizontal thing. When we get this vertical right with God, peace with God, we're able then to bring peace in our relationships, our, our marriages, our parenting, our brothers and sisters, and those that we work with, and those that are in our church and in our community. Peace. Now, I'm thinking really about this term hostility, and obviously, I mean, you almost have to be comatose not to realize that in America right now, there's tons of hostility. And so I'm going to write this word down, hostility, and always remember I'm not the greatest artist, (laughs) and I don't always have the greatest of printing, though that's pretty good, right? Don't be hostile how you think about my printing, right? Hostility. And the reason there's hostility, it's we are living in a time where we are under the darkness. Oh, let me clarify. We are under the darkness without Christ. Now, when Christ is our Lord and Savior, he moves us into what's called the the kingdom of light. Kingdom of light. Now, over here we have hostility, and over here we have unity. Now, this is under the prince and the power of darkness, the devil himself. This is under the kingdom of light. The kingdom of light, unity. And these two fight all the time, hostility and unity. See, here's what we need to know. That Jesus made the unity. He purchased it. He made unity between those that were hostile towards each other. We'll see it in Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 6, and also adding verse 14. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air or the kingdom of hostility. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, following its desires and thoughts. But because of his great love for us, thank God, God who's rich in mercy made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been, wherever you are, you should say it. It is by grace you have been, that's right, saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. As we started, I said, you and I are a part of this incredible kingdom, the the highest citizenship, the kingdom of God. And Paul the apostle tells us in Ephesians 2, because Christ died for us on the cross, 
because he took care of our transgressions and our sins, he's given us a place, seated us in the heavenly realms. Man, what, what incredible citizenship do we have? And he's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, the emotion of hostility that can rise in any of us at any time if we're not careful. So what we need to know is Jesus made unity. He purchased it. But what we need to do is we maintain the unity. We protect it. He purchased it. We protect it. He allows it to happen, and we have to protect his work. Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's our assignment. It's not just an evangelist assignment, a missionary assignment, uh, some pastor's assignment, or some really nice person's assignment. It's all of our assignments. We move from hostility to unity. Jesus purchased it. We protect it. Moving on to Ephesians 2, verse 15, 16, and 17. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both them to God through the cross, by which he put to death there, there's the word again, hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. In other words, those who know God, like the Ephesus church, and us who are saved, get to hear the message of peace. And those who are far away from God, they still get to hear the message of peace. It is God's will that we live at peace with God and peace with one another. Now, the Jews saw themselves as supreme, God's chosen people, Israel, <laughs> and everyone else beneath them and the Gentiles, they saw themselves as supreme as well. Now, the Jews said, we are God's chosen, we're supreme. The Gentiles said, we're supreme. And the Gentiles, especially those a part of the Roman government who took over control from the Jews, says, look at us, we're supreme. It almost is like every race, and if I could be as bold, sometimes every ethnicity says, we're supreme. It's a silent boast. They, they, they may not raise their head and say, look, we're supreme, but there's a silent boast within themselves. Oh, those people, they're not like us. Those people, they're not like us. I remember many years ago walking with a friend of mine, a pastor in Los Angeles, where at that time there were over 109 languages spoken in the city of LA, 109. And so we walked down one street, and boy, you could smell the food. You could smell the chili verde, <laughs> and the chilies were out, even on the street corner, chili and carne asada, you know, and uh, some really, really, really good Mexican food. We made a left and came down the street, and there were a bunch of Koreans. There was a Korean restaurant. They had Korean barbecue and a different sense of smell. We went around the corner, and there were some other people there. I'm not certain if they were part of the Korean group or the Chinese group, but they had fish. I mean, they were cooking whole fish, fish heads, fish eyes. I mean, they were cooking all of it. 
And then we went around two more blocks, and all of a sudden, everybody was speaking Italiano. They were all having, <laughs> they were all having spaghetti, and it was just all this melting pot of all these cultures together. And I thought within myself, I wonder how many of these people of one ethnicity even know the people the next block over with a different ethnicity. But God had somehow put in the hearts of all of these people one thing. One thing. It was a common denominator for all of them. They all had a God-shaped vacuum in their heart and needed to meet God through Jesus Christ, his son. So they could all have peace the peace of God and the peace with God and the peace in their neighborhood and sharing together. And man, I thought to myself, God must be looking down just smiling because you know what he sees? He sees one humanity. It's the very thing that Ephesians 2.15 said his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace in the one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Oh, through the cross. You see, we will never understand the hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. You may think there's hostility today between groups. Mm, nothing like the Jew and the Gentile back in Bible times. I mean, it was bad. It was really bad. And the reason it was so bad was this. They thought they were supreme. Each group did. You see, when God is supreme, no ethnicity is supreme. No political party is supreme. No church is supreme. Somebody said, well, our church is better than your church, or our denomination is better than your denomination. No. The body of Christ is his church. And by the way, when you look in the scriptures, you don't see ethnicities. You may see difference in tribes, or you may see difference in uh, religious beliefs. But the heart of Jesus is to make one humanity, just, just, just one. And when the Lord said, I will build my church, he didn't say, I'll build the, the Southern Baptist, the First Baptist, the Conservative Baptist, the Free Will Baptist, the Foursquare, the Assembly of God, the Lutheran, the Lutheran Missouri Senate. You know, he, he didn't say denominations. Here's what he said. I will build my church. And regardless of the name on the monument sign or the name over the door, it's one kingdom. It's one Lord. It's one faith. It's one baptism. Now, what did Paul tell us? He said, by Jesus Christ and the cross, he has come over here and he has taken care of the hostility. And he brings a heart of unity to his people. And, and can I just tell you, it's God's heart and design that all humanity would be united together through the cross of Christ and live in the kingdom of light. Now, we could say as a, a kingdom of unity, we are going to press unity upon you. We're going to have a unity uh, march. We're going to have a unity press. We're, we're going to tell everybody, you must be united. But that's not what he tells us to do in the book of Ephesus. 
Paul really says this. You bring Jesus to people. You bring Jesus to people because it's Jesus that breaks down every wall. It's Jesus that that is the one who, as we believe in him, he allows us to come to a place of unity in him. You cannot bypass Jesus and try to press people for unity. You can't say, let's all be united. Can't we all just get together? It's not going to work. When we bring people together together, to the God of grace, to the Jesus of grace. Amazing things happen. Now, now let me take it to a personal level with you. When you bring Jesus into your marriage, I mean really bring him in and really follow him, the husband and the wife, follow him. And guys, I want to talk to you for a minute. When, if you're married, I want you to hear me. If you live in such a way that you honor your wives, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, ultimate sacrifice, she's going to love you back. She'll have no choice. It will be something that will compel her. Your love for her will compel her to love you back. But let me say this, guys. You should live in such a way that you help your wife fulfill her God-given calling on her life. Commit yourself to pray for her. Commit yourself to live for her in such a way that she can be all that God intended for her to be. Now, ladies, let me talk to you for a second. If you're married, listen in. (laughs) Listen in. You need to do the same thing for your husband. Help him decide and discern what God's call is on his life, what his ministry is all about, how he's supposed to serve and add value to your family, to your neighborhood, to the church, to the people in the community. And then you live to fulfill that for him. And then parents, the same is true for your kids. Find out how God created them. Raise a child in the way he or she should go. Uh, Of course, that passage refers to the bending of a reed. Every child that's born has some kind of God-given bent to them, how they're supposed to live, the, the DNA. And as you begin to discern what that is, then you give yourself to the experience and the education of those things that they might be called to or bent towards. Maybe they're, you know, bent towards technology. Well, you better get them around technology. Bring them to LFC. We got all kinds of technology here. We'll train them and let them shadow our team and learn. Maybe they're into hospitality. Well, the next time we have a drive-through or an event, get them down here and let us put them to work, learning the gifts of hospitality. Otherwise, they will be frustrated with their gifts as they're put under wraps or pushed down. Hey, don't make a carpenter, a strong finished carpenter into a scientist because they'll be frustrated all their life. Or if your kids have any kind of musical uh, desire or learnings, man, get them around instruments and let them learn and let them grow. What's the point? Bring Jesus into all of that. And if you're single and you have friends who are far from God, bring Jesus into your conversations. And bring Jesus into your life to make you the best possible person you can be. The second thing I want you to see is put up 
with one another. Put up with one another. When you think about protecting unity, you have to think about protecting love. Ephesians 4, 2 says, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. Protect the unity of the Spirit. Protect the unity of the Spirit. A couple of things you know so well from the love chapter, that love bears all things. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. And love always protects. Protect the unity. That's what love does. Love doesn't gossip. Love doesn't uh, expose somebody's weakness. No, love protects and love bears all things. We protect what is precious. And as we read these words from Ephesians, what is precious is the unity that God has intended for us to have as Christ has died for us to allow unity to come. I was thinking about Paul, his great, incredible servant of the Lord who's teaching Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he tells him what to do. <laughs> he says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and without disputing. What's our prayer? We pray for the salvation of all people. That's what he says here in this passage. It's God's will that no one would perish. And, and we pray for our president, our president-elect. We pray for our local leaders and those in authority over us. We pray for school teachers and for, for principals and pastors. I mean, all those in authority of any kind, pray for them. And pray that they'll come to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I want you to pray. And notice how he ended that. Lifting up holy hands. Surrender to God without anger and without disputing. Max Lucado says that happiness is less an emotion and more a decision. A decision to bear with one another. And if I could, I'd like to just read a little bit from Max Lucado, his book on happiness. He talks about putting up with people. <laughs> he picks his teeth in public. She has this odd manner of clearing her voice every few minutes. He can't watch the news without spouting out his opinions. She must apply her makeup with a putty knife. He cuts off cars in traffic. She cuts off people in conversations. He's as edgy as a porcupine. She's too laid back and soft-spoken. He rubs you the wrong way. She gets on your nerves. Irritating, aggravating, exasperating, infuriating. Arr. If only people would stop behaving like people. If only people would wear deodorant and use mouthwash and close their mouths when they chew and <laughs> quiet their screaming babies and clean up their trashy yards and property. If only they would be on time. If only they would get off their cell phone. There's a way the world should run. 
And when others behave in ways we don't like, we can call it, Lucato says, a pet peeve. Not a colossal divide, not even that hostile, but it is rivalry, (laughs) and it's just a pet peeve, a pet, smallish, personal, individual, a peeve, a quirk, a peculiarity, a pet peeve. (laughs) So what's your pet peeves? Joy is such a precious commodity. Why squander it? on a quibble. The phrases we use regarding our pet peeves revel the person who actually suffers. They get under my skin, or they get on my nerves, or she's such a pain in the neck. Whose skin? Whose nerves? Whose neck? Ours. Who suffers? We do. Every pet peeve writes a check on our joy account. Now take a look. I just brought a a simple little plastic basket. And inside this basket are some whiffle golf balls. They're they're good cat toys, I'm told. But could you imagine if these little balls represent the Holy Spirit depositing inside of our soul the ability to be a unifier, the ability for us to keep unity in the bond of peace, And pretty soon, our lives would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And pretty soon, our lives would be filled with the ability to bring love and unity to a hostile world. And people would take notice of us. Notice, (laughs) the Holy Spirit is overflowing. And our lives are full. Our, our, Our cup runneth over. But every time we allow hostility to come and the pet peeves that Lucado talks about to to build up in our lives, it's, it's, it's almost like we forfeit and we begin to throw away the very things that God has called us to do. And instead of being people of love, pretty soon we start filling our container with things we don't appreciate about other people other ethnicities, other smells of food that's different than what we're used to. Or, excuse me, even a different political party or a political agenda. Ephesians 4, 2 says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be patient. The New Living Translation says, be patient, making allowance for each other's faults. The Phillips Translation says, accept life with humility and patience, making allowances for each other. And the Voice Translation says, tolerate one another. But I'm going to be intolerant, and I'm going to keep throwing away what the Holy Spirit has called me to do, and, and, and pretty soon, if I'm not careful, I'm going to end up empty. I wonder what happened to God's love in my life. And all the while, the Holy Spirit just wanted to make more deposits into my life of his power and of his grace and his ability to have me be known as a unifier rather than someone who lives in the emotion of hostility. Oh, my both hands are up. There's been times where I've been hostile. I've allowed myself to become, well, (laughs) short-tempered. 
short fuse. You've been there? You know, the apostle's word for patient is a term that combines long and tempered together. Be patient. Be long-tempered, not short-tempered. Don't be a a hair-trigger kind of person. The patient person is long-tempered. The word tempered literally means taking a long time to boil. It takes a lot to get you at your boiling point. Don't be overheated. Don't allow all the irks of life to, to irk you so much that you become depleted from the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do with your life and through your life. My wife, Debbie, 44 years of marriage to this guy, the king of quirks and the king of irks. It qualifies her for a PhD in the subject of patience and tolerance. Hey, I hope and pray you've got somebody in your life like that who literally takes the scripture literally. Be patient. Put up with one another. Tolerate each other. And I'd love you to think about this phrase. The next time you find it difficult to live with others, imagine what it's like to live with you. (laughs) You know, Jesus told a parable. It was a part of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, while you're looking for the speck, the flaw in someone else's eye, while you, and let me paraphrase, might be hostile towards somebody because of, well, the way they are. Don't forget you might have a log in your own eye. If you ever thought Jesus had a sense of humor, well, you're right. I think that's a funny story. Somebody with a log growing out of their eye. Just think about that. And he says, while you're busy looking at the speck in someone else's eye, casting judgment, being hostile towards them, there may be something inside of you that's far worse. Remember the old story when you point one finger this way, there's three pointing right back at you. Wow. And the thumb, well, it should be pointing up to God saying, God, God help me. You think the world needs more tolerance? Then be tolerant. You wish people would quit complaining? Then you quit complaining. And the world will be minus one whiner. Nobody gives a hoot about the poor. Well, the hoot level will increase with your compassion. If you want to change the world, begin with yourself. And before you point out the speck in someone else's eye, make sure you aren't sporting a big old limb out of your own. Patience has a boomerang effect. As we bear with one another, we preserve our joy and discover new reasons to love and to share and to smile. Easy to do? Not at all. But essential? Absolutely. And in this time we live in right now, the most essential of all. Cut people some slack. Ease up. Reduce your number of peeves, pet peeves, and be patient with the people who need extra patience. The world is filled with quirky people. But here's what I think about. If God would love a sinner such as I, 
and turn my sorrow into bliss. If God would take my transgressions and sin and forgive every one of them, who am I to hold a grudge? And who am I to be hostile towards anyone when the Lord is not hostile towards me? Put your energy into prayer. Put your energy into the Holy Spirit filling your life and do everything you can to keep unity in the bond of peace by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. God, make us lovers of you and make us lover of others. In the midst of hostility that rises around us, all all around us, give us your peace. And rather than us pointing out the fact that someone else is hostile or someone else is mistreating someone else, help us bring Jesus, your son, to them, to every situation. Thank you, Lord, for dying for us, for tearing down the wall. And and, and dear ones, I just invite you, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you heard it today. When he died on the cross, he tore down the wall of hostility, not just between Jew and Gentile, as profound as that is, but he tore down the wall of hostility between you and God, the God who reaches down to you, the God who becomes your father as you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, who died on a cross and who rose again from the dead. Just tell him, Lord, I give you my life. Here I am. I want to follow after you. Be my Savior and my Lord, and he will. And then, Lord, I would pray, you gave us the Holy Spirit of unity so we could be uniters. Empower us, fill us with unity, and that we could love others like never before. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen, amen. Well, if you're giving your life to Christ today, I encourage you to contact us. Just just call the church office, 805-736-2772. If we're not there, leave your your name and number. We'll get right back to you. Or you can email us at office at lompocfoursquare.com. We would love to help you get started on your journey and send you some free materials. My My last PS, my parting shot, is let's go and tear down the walls of hostility. Walk through the walls that have been torn down by Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's let people know that we're Christians, Christ followers by our love. Hey, God bless you. May you have a great rest of your day whenever you're watching this. And on Tuesday nights, 6 p.m., we're in the book of Psalms. Love to have you join us. Until then, go be a peacemaker because blessed are the peacemakers. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.